So we've been doing acts. For those of you who are quite a few visitors, we've started at the beginning and we've dealt with a number of acts things. We're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people of the early church and us. Because why was this book written? Well, it wasn't just a fairy tale for fun. This was written so that the church could understand what God can do by the power of the Holy Spirit in ordinary people like you and me. So we've got to take notice of it or we're in danger of losing what God really wants us to walk in in this life. So we talked first about powerful preparation. We talked about waiting on God for his power to come in our lives. We heard about the power of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit burst on the scene in Acts 2. We've read a lot of powerful proclamations that came from the apostles in the early church. We've talked about powerful persecution that followed. This is a wee bit echoey. Can we have this down a little bit? It's just just not quite right. And I've got a loud voice. (laughs) Okay, so we talked about the persecution. We're going there again this morning because it's, where, where I'm at in the book, we've talked about powerful expansion of the gospel regardless of persecution. We've talked about the powerful work of the fear of God in people's lives, both they are those inside the church and those outside the church. And we've talked about the powerful rise of a persecutor to become an apostle the rise of Paul with the help of obedient men who mentored him. And today, we're going to go to Acts chapter 12, and there we go, we'll have the title up, which is just the title, The Prison Bust. So we're back in persecution days again. In fact, from Acts 4 on, persecution never let up in the early church. It was just a fact of life but people just went on and lived their daily lives during this time. So we'll start with verse 1, Acts 12, but first of all, we're just going to ask God to help us to understand what he wants today. God, our God, you are awesome. You are the most powerful. You are the most giving God, and we thank you that we are under your love. We thank you, God, that you break into our circumstances, that you shatter strongholds, that you break chains and you cut off ropes in our lives and you give us freedom to live free of the things that have bound us. Even for years, we declare over this place today and over these people today the freedom of the living God by the Holy Spirit because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's go to Acts 12. This is a good story. Could be in Boys Own. If Boys Own, if you know those books they used to have with really exciting stories in them, here it is. This is a power struggle, guys, you know, and we know about power struggles. This was an earthly power struggle by a man called King Herod. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. 
He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. I mean, that tells you how dangerous he thought this man was. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for God, to God for him. You know, so many times we have this conflicting, this contrasting but. This is happening in the world, but this is happening in the kingdom of God. So here we have the real bad, Peter's in prison, and here we have the real good, the church, are on their knees. The night before Herod was about to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood at the guard of the entrance. That's a lot of soldiers. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel, that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. I mean, oh, that we saw so many visions that we got confused. Wow. They passed first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it and then they walked. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And Peter came to himself and said, Oh, now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door! You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting this was so, they said, well, it must be his angel, because there was a belief that a person's guardian angel took on the same representation as the person in those days. That's what the, they believed. But Peter kept knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Because he knew he wasn't safe there. Yeah. Okay, let's just go back to Acts 4 now. Because what we're dealing with are two places where it shows how the early church dealt with tight situations like this. So we're just going to read a few verses which we've read before. When Peter and John were last in prison... And they came out and they said, we've been told 
not preach the word anymore, not to talk about Jesus anymore. And so this is how the church kind of prays in these situations. And this is the only recorded prayer in Acts. This is the only large-scale recorded prayer in Acts. So you would say, if there's only one, that it's actually written there in order that you learn something really important. So here it is. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. This is verse 24. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Here's the quote, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to live a quiet and peaceful life. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And what happened? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, again, and spoke the word of God boldly. Acts was very careful, was written by Dr. Luke, and he was very careful about the incidents that he recorded in this book because he had a reason for everything that he wrote down here because he was writing it for the early, for the church in the future. So my question is, why did he write these things? What was the reason that Luke chose these things and recorded them in this way? It's really important that we realise that in a tough situation, we have to start with an encounter with God. And Luke is saying, hey, these guys had a remarkable encounter with God that taught them how to walk through these difficult situations. And you know, I've said this before, but if you don't have a remarkable encounter with God before the tough times happen, it's very difficult to get into that place when the tough times arrive. You actually have to walk in encounter time with God every day so that when the big stuff arrives, you aren't shattered. Okay? You've got to call the enemy liar and thief, and shatter his strongholds. That's what we're called to do. You know, God loves us to be in a relationship where we will talk to him. Where the first thing we do in a situation is we talk to him, we sit with him, we find out what it is that he says. And so in Acts 4, 
When the people had sat with God and listened to him, they lifted up their voices and they knew what he had said to them. They had lifted up their voices to tell God, we know how big you are. That was one of the first things that they did that prepared them for works that God was going to do. And this is worship. We declare to God that we know how big he is. That we know how worthy he is. That we know that he has conquered sin, death, hell and Satan. And we stand on that with our very lives. And then we can be secure. Because nothing can break what God sets in place. There is no plan that can come and permanently stand against the will of God. Because our God is almighty God. And we have to get such a picture of the almightiness of our God that we will not be swayed by temporary trials. And look, temporary trials might mean for the rest of your life, but I've got to say, it's temporary. And you know, we've got to get eternity out of our hearts and into our everyday lives. You know, we have to walk as though eternity is now and that we are walking easily in this earth and into the next place and there's hardly a stop in between and so it's not going to cause us any fear. Otherwise, when things like this come, we walk in fear, we cower and we plead with God. Now, you don't find these people cowering and pleading with God. You find these people saying, this is the word of God. And, you know, the Jews knew the Psalms. Why do the nations rage? Because our God is the one who wins. He laughs at their efforts to stand against him. And we need to do the same. We need to be in a place where we know that our God is so powerful, he laughs at the opposition in our lives. And we can too if we stand with him. We've got to do it. So prayer is more than just saying, help God. It's a good start. You know, they say, on a plane diving into the sea, there are no more atheists. When you're going to shore and certain death, you're going to try anything, and most people are trying, oh God, help me. Because there's something innate about eternity in our hearts that gets really stirred up when we get really close. I mean, how many people on their deathbeds have turned from being an atheist to grabbing hold of the hand of the Lord? Yeah. So saying help is a good start, but praying is much more than that. You know, I'm just going to turn to Ephesians 6, and there's a couple of verses there. And it says, pray. Paul's just saying this after he's talked about the fact that we are not talking, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Even it might seem it, it might seem like this is a real flesh and blood thing. This is my job that's falling off. This is my family that's falling apart. This is my, but actually, at the back of it all, we are fighting not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. You see, we need to know that, that the things that come against us have more than just a physical reality. They come 
from the heavenly realm and we have to stand in the same way so if we approach it from here oh please god help me that's good but it's not the maximum that god wants us to have because the lord jesus says to us come up with me and sit with me and see these things from my perspective so we're just going to um i will go back to that in a minute because actually i'll go right now couple forward there's a Verse here, not that one, we'll go back to that. No, next one. No, don't worry, I'm going to read it anyway. And it says this. This is about the position that God wants us to be in. By grace, it's Ephesians 1, verse 6. It's by grace you've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ Jesus. And where did he seat us? Yeah, that's right. He seated us in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is the realm where the warfare happens. It's not down here. It's in heavenly realms. And the Lord says to us, come on up, guys. I've got a seat for you where the things are really happening, where fates, it's not fates, but where people's lives are being decided. Come on up to this place and see the way I see it so that you can fight with the weapons that I give you to fight with. Okay, so he invites us to be seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And you know, this isn't something looking in the far, far distance. We might see the incomparable riches of his grace. This is starting from now and going from now all the way into the ages to come. So are you starting now to find out what it feels like to have the incomparable riches of the grace of God in your life? That's what's available to us so that we can deal with the things that come against us. Have you got the incomparable riches of God up front and personal in your life? It's so important that you do because they are part of the spiritual weapons that we have to fight the powers of darkness. So we have to know what they are. If we don't know about what the word says and how the word tells us to fight, we won't be able to fight in the day of darkness. So if we don't read the word, what have we got to stand on? You know, we might think that we can do it in ourselves, but come on, be honest, can you? You know, in the long term, we can't do it ourselves. We need help. We were never created to stand by ourselves and hold on and fight by ourselves in the things that we walk through in life. It was not God's intention for us to be little gods of our own. No, his intention for us was to walk in communion with him, to have the greatest amount of fellowship that we ever could have with the Holy Spirit and with the people of the Holy Spirit. This is a community that he planned for us to have, just like he modeled Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in such close community working together in creation and in all the other places that he has done things ever since 
He modeled this for us. Come on, people. Be dwelling with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be abiding. Now, I want to tell you about Peter. Now, it never says anything about Peter praying in this uh, uh, passage. Why not? Didn't he pray? Oh, my goodness. You mean he had it all in himself to do it? Without the Lord, but no, come on. I think he did, uh, Luke never said this because he had already talked about Peter through the chapters as a man of prayer. Peter had a habit of prayer. We see it with Cornelius. He had a habit where he uh, went up onto the roof to pray. Many Jews had a habit already developed of praying because that was within the Jewish faith and they transferred it into the Christian faith that they had a habit of prayer. How about you? Have you worked on your habit of prayer? You have a daily habit of sitting with the Lord and listening to him. Do you have a habit where the first thing that happens when things go wrong in your life is you turn to the Lord and you say, God, what do you say about this? Or do you, do the wheels just come off completely when things go wrong in your life and you just don't know what to do? You see, we should know what to do. Because the Lord's written it down in here. In here tells us what to do. He will hide us in his pavilion. And he will raise us on a rock. So if he says this, he will do it. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the things that he says that are in the truth of the word are the things that he will do in our lives if we will only reach out and say, Do it, God. I give you my permission. I will obey. I want to walk with you and abide with you. Okay, so we've said help, but we say more than that. We take the word of God, which we're learning to know, and we speak it out because there's such power in confession, and we know that about negative confession. We now know the power of the tongue is mighty, even death in the power of the tongue. But we also know that there's life in the power of the tongue. And so we choose to speak life. Be careful what you say. It has power. You know, be careful not to grumble because that was one of the things that upturned the lives of the Israelites. They grumbled through the desert and they never got to the promised land. Be careful to be a thankful, thankful people for all God does every single day. We, even in the midst of the most persecuted life, should be the most hopeful people. And why is that? Because our hope is Jesus. So we've got to get past it all resting on this life and what we want to happen in this life. It's not about this life, this life. It is some, okay, I'll say it's some, but this is training us. This is training us. This is training our character. We want to do mighty exploits for the Lord in this life, but why? Not for ourselves to be raised up, but for the kingdom of God to advance. You know, we've got to be kingdom people. We're not selfish people. We've got our goal to the kingdom of God coming. You know, it says, Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if we want that, we're putting all ourselves into seeing that the kingdom comes, that the church is strengthened, and that God breaks through into our very dark world. 
Because if we don't have that hope in Jesus, what hope do we have? When we look around, oh my goodness, there is so much stuff that's horrible. But we as Christians should be the most hopeful because our help is Jesus and he will never leave us and he takes us to be with him forever. And even in this world, he breaks through with stunning light when we pray. You see, that's the thing that Luke's wanting to say in these chapters is that prayer changes outcomes. Do you believe it? Prayer changes outcomes. So we're going back to James because this is a verse that's most awesome. You know me, I have notes and then I don't follow them. But it's quite good, I'd say to the Holy Spirit, here they are, I've prepared, so you do it. Okay, James 5, and there's this little phrase in James 5 which tells us what kind of prayer really is effective. So James 5, 16b, the earnest No, so first of all, we'll start with the NIV one. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's a good verse, but when you extrapolate it out, it gets even better meaning. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous person makes tremendous power available dynamic in its working. Isn't that really good? You know, when I was at Bible college, we were made to actually learn the amplified version of that. Get it, really get it in here. So it's not just a quick God help me, that's good, but there's more to it. We need to work on prayer more than this. Earnest, serious. Very, this is very serious. This says, is uh, going to affect the lives and destinies of others who we pray for as well as our own. Earnest, heartfelt. This is something that we need to have the compassion of God for the people that we see in the world who the Lord calls us to lift up. Continued. So here's a prayer meeting. It was a continuing prayer meeting in Acts 12. It was not a short little let's meet for half an hour and we'll just go over Peter's imprisonment. You know, this was a desperate situation. You know, there was a tight three of people who were with Jesus. It was Peter, James and John. And they were the ones who were closest to Jesus as the disciple, 12 disciples. So that led into the early church, Peter, James and John. So here we see that James has been beheaded. So that's one out of three gone. And now we see the second one, Peter, and he's in prison facing a public trial and, and we've got a, a megalomaniac man who wants to show his power and he's about to use Peter as a pawn in his power game. So what do you think's going to happen? Oh, Peter, you can go, thanks. I don't think so. Yeah. So it's very serious. It was a very urgent prayer. The church was about to lose the second of three daddies in the faith. This is a very serious thing. When, When a leader goes, you know, it really attacks the flock. But Peter... Was Peter concerned? 
See, Peter was a man of prayer, and I'll get back to this here. Peter was a man of prayer, and he had given his future into the hands of the Lord, so he was able to sleep. In fact, he was so soundly asleep that he didn't hear until the angel hit him on the thigh because he had done what it says to do in Philippians 4. Because, you know, I don't believe Peter could have slept so soundly, stretched out between two guards in very uncomfortable position if he hadn't given his whole future into the hands of the Lord. So he was able to do what Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Thanks, Lord, for this prison. Thanks, Lord, for these soldiers. Present your requests to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, this is what we hold on to and this is what Peter held on to during these times so he could sleep unconcerned about the next day and the trial that was likely to um, not be a very positive experience. Yeah. Okay, so we're back to it being urgent. We're back to it being um, really important that these people prayed. But there's one thing I want to say about their prayer, and Luke doesn't hold back on the things that are not quite so positive. There's things in, the, in Acts that are not the best light on people. And here we have people who are praying. It doesn't give any indication in Acts 12 that they lacked faith, but they had an idea of how God would work. I feel this is what was the thing. They knew how to pray in faith, but they had a fairly firm idea of how God would and wouldn't work. And in their psyche, they didn't have an angel releasing Peter from prison. I mean, how often do we do this in our own lives? How often do we pray, but we actually are sort of almost telling the Lord how he's going to answer the prayer? Have you done it? You know, I mean, I've had some fairly good ideas and God's shaken them and God's uh, done something completely different that I never saw coming. And here's the situation where Luke is putting this down because he really wants us as a church to know that God will surprise us. That God will change the outcome, but it might, be the kind of out- might not be the kind of outcome that you had in mind. Now, that's a bit of a scary thing, but your security is not in the outcome that God provides. Your security is in God himself. So you just have to leave his outcome to his almighty hand. How many of us have tried to manipulate the Lord with the things that we think he should do on our behalf? I mean, this is presumption. But what are we doing telling God how to do it? I mean, have you ever been in a prayer meeting where there's a long and actually they're usually rather boring uh, prayer from a person who is doing exactly that? Or else they're telling God every detail of the situations is happening, but actually he's almighty God and he already saw it and he already knows all these things. He doesn't need to go over every single thing that's happened. He, He wants us to just share what it's doing in our lives and just the fact that we believe that he will break through with his power. 
So this is a big challenge to us in Acts 12, is powerful prayer is really important, but it must give God the room to operate in the way that he knows us best. We know that when we speak the word of God, it will not return to God void, but will accomplish that which he desires and that which he purposes. So if you know that, it makes it a lot easier. His word, so get finding what his word is for your situation, will work, will have dunamis power. That's that power, oopsie, it was there. But anyway, dynamic power. That's the same word, Greek word, dunamis, that the word dynamite comes from. And you know, we have to stand believing that the power of God can be like dynamite in breaking off the chains and breaking us out of prison just the same way as the angel came and shattered the strongholds uh, of, um, in terms of the chains that Peter had in prison. It might not be an angel, but it might be, guys. Don't limit God. It might not be the same as this, but you can rely on our Heavenly Father. So I'm just going to finish soon, so if we just have the music people, please. So we've seen that God will answer prayer, that God wants us to pray in order that the outcome will change, and that God loves us praying. Any kind of prayer, all kinds of prayer, but he wants us to mature in our prayer lives so that we can stand and decree things. Now, my friend Helen, who's over there, gave me a verse before we went back to Thailand last time, and it says this. It's Job chapter 22, verse 28 in the Amplified, and it says, you will also decide and decree a thing and it will be established for you and the light of God's favour will shine on your way. I'll say it again. You will also decide and decree a thing and it will be established for you and the light of God's favour will shine on your way. But you will not know what to decree if you do not know the word of God. I mean, God's very gracious and he points things out to us. And when we're, when we're learning, he's, he shows us things as we open his word. But if you don't open his word, you're a bit lost. Because the power of the word of God is more than we can ever imagine. This is a living book. This is not just paper. This is a living book that comes from the hands of God. And guys, as we get in to times of difficulty, we need to know it. Now, I'm going to read you at the end something very modern. It's an email that came across our desk from our mission organisation. This is so relevant. This sermon is so relevant. This week, this came, and I, I want you to know it. So, our Derek Prince Ministries director writes, the grow this is for India. India, with a population of 1.4 billion people, is now the biggest nation population-wise in the world, and it has 
32% Christians. That sounds little, but I just did a wee sum with Alex about how many people this is that are 2.32% of India, and it's 32.5 million people who are concerned with this email here. And this is what it says. The growing persecution of Christians in India is not just limited to violence against churches and Christian organisations, but it's slowly growing to include laws against conversions, although this is permitted under the Indian constitution. Schools, hospitals and any institution run by Christians are targeted. Persecution also takes the form of threats and false complaints being made against people practising Christianity. This persecution is aimed to instill fear into the hearts of Christians who have been challenged that by 2024, India will be made a Hindu country and will be purged of Christians. We therefore, this is our mission, have a real urgency to train as many pastors and Christian leaders as possible before it becomes too difficult to do so. Thank you for your giving, they say. Derek Prince Ministries has recently been able to hold a number of pastors and leaders' seminars with hundreds attending. The teaching given in our seminars encourages the pastors and teachers to firstly stand firm, firm and secondly not to fear. Fear comes from lack of a deeper knowledge of the word of God and the promises we have in it as well as a lack of understanding of the spiritual weapons God has given us to stand against the forces of darkness that rise against the church. These seminars bring huge encouragement and education to church leaders of their rights and privileges in Christ. 32 million people are standing in fear of their lives in India because they name the name of Jesus. We have to know that this is now. You know, that we need to encourage our brothers and sisters overseas in our prayer and by praying for them. And you know, we know how to pray because we've got Acts 4 and we read it today and we're not praying God give them a sweet little life. We're praying God make them bold. God, cause them not to fear because they know the power of your name. You know the kind of things that we are declaring for our brothers and sisters in those lands. And the same things that we need to know because we don't know the future. We only know who is our God and that he holds the future in his hands. Okay. Let's stand. Well, I saw chains breaking. I saw ropes being cut. And I believe there's people here this morning who have got chains that have long-term held them back. And ropes that have been tied, maybe you even tied some of them yourself because you thought it was good. And it's holding you back. And the Lord is saying this morning that it is a new time where he wants you to break out of the situation, out of these things, and come into the freedom that the Holy Spirit wants to give you. And if you want that this morning, there's people who here who really want to pray for you and declare freedom of the Holy Spirit over your life. God, our God, you're so awesome. 
You're so awesome, God. And we declare how big you are. And we declare that there is no trial that is bigger than you. That the important thing is not how big the trial is, but how big our God is. And so we start with that God. And we just pray, Lord, that you will speak to us this morning about anything that is standing against your kingdom in our lives. We say to you, God, we're willing. We will do the work because we want to walk a kingdom walk with you. We want to walk in community with you and with others who love you, God. We want to share the power and the majesty of the kingdom with others.